Welcome back to class, everyone. I am Ethan, one of the hosts of the Biology Podcast, and today we are on our last episode of the first iteration of the extra credit episodes that we've done uh, during this pandemic. Um, we both have done 13 episode reviews of I Did Gleipnir and Ricky Did Tower of God. If you'd like to hear Tower of God, obviously, you can... Uh, Try to skip toward the middle, but I think you'll want to hear what I have to say about Gleipnir if you're a fan or not a fan of Gleipnir. <laughs> um, anywho, uh, this has been a lot of fun. We really enjoyed these so far. Um, hopefully, we'll pick up another show for, for continuing seasons and kind of continue these on. Um, maybe we'll have to retool it a bit. Um, maybe less of a, this is what happened in this episode, and here's how I think about it, and more of like an analysis and then just kind of leave the reaction to the video, you know, reaction plus analysis and less, you know, a, a brick by brick what happened, which I think would make sense for y'all as well, because listening to what happened, um, unless you're not watching it and you're just kind of living vicariously through us, I don't know how interesting that is. But um, yeah, I think uh, the last couple episodes, I haven't done a, a video form of for YouTube, so hopefully y'all are, well, I mean, obviously you're listening to the podcast because you wouldn't be hearing this otherwise. <laughs> anyway, I'm going to go ahead and grab, uh, you know, jump in here to episode 13 of Gleipnir. Um, gosh, I got to say, I was, I'm really conflicted about this episode, and um, I would be surprised if you watched the whole way through and didn't feel the same way. Um, I've I've been having a couple like nagging issues with the show all the way through. Um, not super important issues, but definitely they've been nagging at me. Um, I'll just kind of get 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 ahead ahead of this and say some of the shit I really didn't like about kind of the show in general and and specifically the, the couple nagging things. Um, I don't even remember the girl's name, but there's like this little pink haired girl. Um, Minorino or something like that from from uh, Shuichi and Claire's school, who clearly is into Shuichi, and he you know is friends friendly with her, but gives her like essentially no time of day. Um, I don't know why they spent honestly why they spent so much time on her. Um, I think every moment she was on the screen was a complete waste of time. And it'll kind of lead into my next point, which is the show, I think, tried to be a little bit too much of a slow burn. And I feel like very incomplete for a first season. Um, obviously, I've been loving the episodes up until, you know, probably I would say 7 through 13 have been great. But those early kind of mid episodes. Like literally nothing happened, no plot progression, no uh questions answered. Um and I think they may have spent too much time building teams, too much time, you know, kind of dealing with that squad that they end up basically ditching at the first, you know, first time there was any real opposition. <laughs> they kind of all went their separate ways. Um, so it, I don't know. I, I felt not invested in basically any characters except for Claire Shuichi, um, Elena further into the story and maybe, the, you know, that original group that Shuichi's friends with, but any other character in the show, I couldn't give two flips about, um, as it stands right now. 
And, you know, Sam, Sam Bay's cool, but, you know, he had one episode, and then he shows up at the very last episode just to say, hey, we're going, right? Um, which I think was a colossal waste, because I think he was kind of a cool character. Uh, one of those, you know, Goku-type characters where they're just out there for the love of the fight, you know what I mean? They'll they'll do whatever they can to continue fighting and testing their skill and their metal. Um, and the fact they kind of just wasted that instead of trying to incorporate him maybe into that group earlier so they wouldn't have had to deal with, like, you know, the morality of poisoning a bunch of people. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just don't know. Like, obviously, that was a plot point in order to show, like, wow, Shuichi, you've changed. Which, you know, like, when you start getting in this situation where it's, like, us or them, people are going to start changing when they start killing people. And then, um, you know, there, there's this overarching story about, uh, you know, how Shuichi lost his memories, what is exactly being covered up. Um, and then, obviously, in, in episode 12, we kind of got the the goods in terms of what exactly has been going on behind the scenes that started it all um, with his original friend group, with Hanako, Aiko, and, um, you know, a couple of those those people early on, um, I, I for some reason I can't remember Lion Hair Kid's name right now. Um, there's Nauta, I believe, as well, Elena and Shuichi, and um, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Like this just was not a solid resolution to the season um, because basically Claire has put the pieces together and realizes there's something like seriously wrong with the way that Shuichi is acting in general, but specifically the fact that some of the memories that he's gotten taken away have basically been of areas that are completely abandoned now or where, you know, the entire memory of that place is attempted to be erased For instance, she went back to his old cram school and kind of walked around and took a look around and um, realized this place is essentially abandoned, but there was this little, you know, plushie of his dog suit in there. And I don't know, you know, obviously I'm watching the whole show, right? And I'm, I'm outside of the story and I cannot connect the dots like she does as to like, how that is impactful in any way. You know what I mean? Like, I don't understand why, like, it's it's interesting, right? I think seeing the inspiration for, clearly the inspiration for what, what his, you know, alien transformation is, like, definitely an interesting thing. But she connects this weird dots between, like, the cram school group and Shuichi, and somehow the cram school group is like erasing his memories or, you know, redacting his memories. And, you know, even as somebody watching it, and I'm obviously outside the story and I like have more information than Claire, I could not make that logical leap. I mean, she's a super like big brain, galaxy brain type character, but, you know, some of these things that are happening right now, it's just like I, I don't really understand what the author's trying to do and i think that's kind of my biggest um criticism of the show so far he's got a really solid story underneath um i i just don't know how much it needs to be dragged out like i think honestly you potentially could have solved this entire story in 13 episodes 
and it would have been it would have felt maybe a little brisk and and fast but i think you would have ended the whole story um maybe even a 24 episode season definitely would have helped and you could have easily finished this whole story in my opinion obviously i don't i haven't read the manga there's probably like a bunch of other shit i don't know about but uh i don't know man uh this has really left me not empty <laughs> that, that sounds like so weird but like very conflicted about the season as a whole um cuz i mean in this this episode he starts to gain, regain some of his memories in a lot of these situations when you know claire confronts him about the fact that his parents have been gone literally for over a year plus cuz his house looks like an absolute shit show she's like yo uh when's the last time you saw your parents bruh? and then he like has this weird um like animal instinct kind of uh sexual assault vibe that happens and um he kind of pulls himself together and realizes like oh i've been here with elena before and like the last time was the last memory i had then like all this stuff started like falling back into place um and i guess behind the scenes elena is talking with nauta and they're like we can't let uh hanako find shuichi again like they can't come together or else the world will end um and i think that relates more to like shuichi has the ability for two people to come one which would be like multiplying shrinks and stuff like that like we saw with um noshioka that little you know girl with the bike helmet um (laughs) but just in general like the whole point of the show so far has been like let's try to find out what happened with memories let's figure out what's going on with elena and let's kind of like try to get toward a resolution and then the last episode he gets his memories back he gets attacked by the hanako uh like virus essentially looking thing or haunted you know she's after the bonds is what it says and uh then elena comes and re erases his memories and um you know, Claire is just kind of left in this situation where she remembers stuff. Shuichi doesn't. But, you know, they still continue on. Like, I don't know, man. The, like, the second you start messing with people's memories, and then, like, you're doing it frequently throughout the show, like, it's it's hard as a viewer to know what has been redacted and what hasn't, right? Because then even after... So even after she saves him from Hanako, Elena, when she erases some of his memories... Uh, basically of their group and whatever, he seems to like still remember what's going on currently in the story. And so like, to me, wouldn't it make more sense if you're like trying to save him to just like reset him back to like right when he left or when he was uh, deciding to not go to college, right? Like it seems like it would make a lot of sense to reset him farther back than like, oh, five minutes ago when you put it all, you know, all the pieces together. Um I don't know, man. Like, I really liked the show for what it did in a lot of, um, I think the mystery was definitely intriguing throughout and kind of like the, let's figure out why Elena massacred a ton of people. Definitely interesting. Uh, once we found out about the, you know, group of friends and like the beginning of the contest, extremely interesting. Um, this specific episode, I actually did not like whatsoever. I think you obviously can tell. Uh, based on my critique so far, um, I would even call this like a 
a 6.0 out of 10 type episode. Because um, I don't really know where they go from here, right? Like, I think the ending, they get they meet up with Sambe and they're like, let's go, uh, let's go try to f- go to the crash site. Like, I don't understand the point. Like, what are they trying to achieve anymore? I know they were originally trying to achieve, like, let's figure out why Elena did all this. But Claire should have her memories intact. And when Elena was explaining that she, you know, she did all this to kind of help Shuichi and help Claire not realize, like, their whole families were just, like, freaking melted by this Hanako beast virus thing. Um, I don't know. Like, I, I just don't, I don't. I don't feel like there was a solid resolution. Uh, I think maybe like five characters all season were interesting. Uh, The fight scene in this episode was by far the best so far, like completely out of the entire show. So that's definitely, you know, pretty dope. Um, Redeeming quality for this episode. Uh, The art was gorgeous. It's got this kind of like melancholy filter almost feel. Um, Feels like common... Or like uh not commonly, what the heck am I talking about? Feels like the setting is like late summer, which it obviously is, but it really, really like feels like that as as the viewer. Um, kind of that late summer, early fall kind of um hue over the world. You know, the like really warm um sun, if that makes sense. You know, kind of like that orangey sun. <laughs> um, yeah. I gotta say, solid show. I love that they chilled with a lot of the etchy stuff. Um, in this episode, it wasn't like that terrible because, you know, he like clearly was going into animal instinct mode and like whatever. That's I think excusable. Um, a lot of the stuff early on was just like unnecessary, I think, and didn't really add anything to the plot. But there were certain times when they did they used it really tastefully, and you know, at that point, I think it was it was pretty solid. Um, I mean, I talked about the the mystery, the story of the characters, the setting. Uh, music was pretty solid throughout. Obviously, potentially worst OP all time, which they also used as the ED in the final episode. Sorry about that. <laughs> Don't know what the hell they're smoking. Uh, so do I want to watch season two? So I probably will watch it because. I have a podcast that I am speaking on currently to, you know, kind of let you guys know our thoughts on certain things, right? Um, I think I I have to at this point just because, you know, they, they reset in this episode and I'm, I'm just confused as to whether that was like for a reason or not, you know, like I don't read manga, so I'm not going to go find out before in the next season. Um, so I'll have to watch season two if, if they do, you know, if they're, uh, I forget what it's called when you, when you're, when you're like basically greenlit for the next season. Um, if that does come out, I'll watch it. Um, but my expectations are not massive anymore. Uh, I think when this kind of originally came out and they were like talking about it, I was like, this is, this is like really poised to be an insane show. And I think it, kind of more landed in the like high sevens rather than low eights if you're going by like mal scale which you know high sevens are still pretty solid um but definitely not 
I guess it seems to me like all the really good shows these days are getting in like the 8.3 range, right? And then, you know, the the best of all times, like uh, Brotherhood, got the like 8.8 range. Um, so I think like a 7.7 7 maybe is what I would call it in mal, mal scale. Uh, yeah, I think, I think that's really all I got to say. Like I, I, Like I said, setting, really solid. You really felt it. Characters completely worthless, except for like a few of them. Um, I think the pacing was whack. There was so much they could have cut out and just kind of like really condensed the story and got us moving a lot sooner. Um, Mystery, I think, unfortunately, was pretty mediocre by the end. Uh, I mean, it was solved in literally one episode. And then now you're just like, well, why are you messing with all this stuff? Like, because that's not really a mystery at this point. Like, what what the point of it is, right? It's just like, why? Like, it makes very little sense. Um, I, you know, and then they're going to be like, well, uh, Shuichi's in a regular or something. So him and, uh, I can't remember a freaking guy's name, but him and Lion Hair Kid could combine and become gods. Or, you know, Hanako wants to kill everyone in the original group. Um, ah. It's just such a, like, <laughs> disappointing way to end. Because I was really enjoying it the last couple episodes. Um, so, yeah, I, I want to know what you guys thought. Because, you know, you've heard everything that I've said throughout all these episodes. And I just kind of, like, would love to hear what you guys felt about it. Because... You know, maybe I'm not the target audience for this, or, or maybe I overthought some things. Maybe I undervalued some things. So please let me know. Um, obviously, this is going to be a YouTube video. So if you want to just like hit us up on Twitter or email us at, at webologypodcast at gmail.com, uh, you know, I'd love to hear what your opinion is of this show because, you know, I think this was. An interesting show, definitely. Like, something that I'm not really used to watching. Um, like, a mystery, seining, etchy. Like I think those are, like, some pretty strange uh, categories to kind of throw together. And then I would say, like, obviously, like, there's some supernatural fantasy kind of um, aspects to it. But overall, I enjoyed it enough to watch season two. So, uh, hopefully, uh, maybe that'll be my... My extra credit next year when that comes out, if that does come out. Uh, yeah, I mean, I had a blast doing these episodes. Hopefully, y'all got, listen, all y'all listening enjoyed them as well. Um, episode 13 of Tower of God is coming up right now. Here you go, Ricky. Adeuces. Welcome back, my beautiful, beautiful students, to this week's extra credit of the Weebology podcast. I and you're satisfied but melancholy, Professor Ricky, because this is our last episode of the run, and I hope everyone has had a great time with this show, Tower of God. Now, today for YouTube gang, I know I've been lazy on that stuff, but I am getting all those videos up, and this one will be a little, you know, reaction light. I know I've been playing around with reaction and analysis, kind of cutting back and forth, but this one is a special episode for me, because after that huge moment at the end of last episode Rachel pushing bomb to a death in the depths we are all looking for answers and that is kind of the theme of this episode at the end of the day is what are the answers and we get a lot of really interesting answers at the in 
the span of just these 20 minutes. So I want to dive into it. We see Rachel at the beginning of all of this claim, I'm going. They're calling me. The tower is calling me. I have to go. She appears in the tower, leaving Bomb behind. And the first thing that she is told, it's not you. And this kind of reveals to us Rachel's character deep down that in just the span of the first three minutes, we get Rachel pleading, begging to climb the tower. And he says, no, the navigator says, absolutely not. Unless you take a test. She's presented before Bomb even gets there of the same test he took and passed, by the way. She then basically says the first thing out of her mouth as a reaction. This is impossible. I can't take this test. It's not fair to make people take a test. They can't pass. And he says, silence, as your savior is born. Bomb appears in the tower, the one that was apparently actually called. Now I wonder, is Bomb even an irregular at this point? He was the one who was invited into the tower, not Rachel. Did she get in by accident? Is she truly the irregular? So she is hidden kind of in an invisible bubble of Shinzu, uh, out of sight, out of mind. Watching Bomb not only pass, but gain favor from one of the weapons, from the, one of the strongest sets in this tower, and from a princess of Jihad herself in the first instance of him being in the tower. She realizes Bomb basically is the one who is special. The navigator tells her, You don't want to see the stars. You want to be a star. This is when it hits me. That Rachel's story is not a story of someone who was invited, who's someone who was chosen. She is a side character who hates the idea of being a side character. Watching helplessly as the person she tried to abandon became what everyone in the tower is calling over and over again in this episode, a savior. This is brilliant writing to me already off the bat for a couple reasons. One, the very structure of this episode, it's basically telling the story of Rachel over the same span of time as Bomb's journey, but Bomb gets 12 episodes and she got one. To show her journey, she is literally so unspecial that she gets one episode to tell the same story it took 12 to tell bombs in a just as in a compelling way. We kind of get this inner monologue as she starts her climb begging the navigator, I'll do anything. And the navigator says, okay, I'll give you a special test. If you can kill bomb, you get to climb. If you essentially, on a meta level, take out the main character of this show, you will be able to prove yourself more worthy, more able than the main character of this show to climb the tower. I love that. I love, this is like this, in my mind, this is like some kind of meta writing, a commentary of sorts, 
or at least a subversion of the shonen genre where, you know, it's a trope that has existed in the past, but I don't see it so oftenly executed in such a brilliant way to me. I mean, as she climbs, she is given a weapon. She begs over and over. It's not fair. I don't have a weapon. Her selfishness, and even the navigator said, your ugliness seeps from you so much it makes me cringe. But she gets her opportunity. The bodyguard that was with her was the weapon given to her by the powers that be in the tower. The bodyguard essentially acts as an extra life. You get to get resurrected once. And we saw that later when she got stabbed. That's the reason why the big dude who is supposed to be a spear bearer disappeared. She used her quote unquote extra life. He's gone now. And she survives. As she climbs, we kind of see a couple new scene perspectives of scenes we already saw. A big one was in Dorsey, who was already kind of skeptical. She says that, quote, I hope whatever you find at the top of the tower is worth more than him. At first, you think, oh, yeah, because she's ignoring him. There's a rule against acquaintances climbing. She's trying to protect him by obscuring herself from him. But we now know that Endorsey might be savvy to her special test. Or at least gets a vibe that she's not doing this for Bomb. She's doing this for some other ulterior motive. We kind of see the inner monologue of hers working. The ugliness of her growing. You know, she basically looks at Bomb gaining all these special privileges, relationships, being loved by everyone, being loved by Shinzu, being loved by everybody. He has everything she doesn't. And this drives her mad. She was already incensed from the beginning. The fact that Bomb got in at all, that he got a chance. This is how ugly of a character Rachel is, right? She is so driven by her mission to get to the top of the tower that she is willing to forego everything. A common theme throughout the season. Ho, oh, a beautiful example of this. His revenge for the you know, poaching of his people drove him to pure insanity. And it ended up costing his life. So you would think cautionary tale after cautionary tale would be enough for Rachel to start understanding why Bomb is truly so special. It's because of his purity. It's because of his kindheartedness. It's because of his, you know, natural affinity and love by Shinzu. He has everything. Everything she wants. So it's a beautifully sad journey, I think, as an audience perspective of someone who wanted to be the special one so bad that they're willing to forego all the things that would make her special. She doesn't eat lunch with everybody. She gains no friends. She doesn't even look to train in Shinzu. She doesn't even try. To truly climb the tower, all she tries is to earn her chance. Because she was never supposed to have one. I wonder now, 
There was that line Shibizu said when they were talking about irregulars. That if you enter as an irregular, a calamity is said to occur in the tower every time one comes in. I think Rachel is that calamity. I think Rachel, in my mind, became someone I hate, obviously. The entire fan base is just not having her. But I think she became a brilliant villain. I think her as an antagonistic force makes her a completely compelling character. Because if you think about it, when she was stabbed by Ho, right? She then was told to play along by the redheaded chick, the one in that spandex during the crown game, who was told to watch Rachel and bomb because the director said, we need to test the boy to see if he can become what we desire. So bomb was being secretly tested the entire time, or at least set up to put him in a position that he could be for the administrators and directors advantageous to be tested on some end. He is something to them. He's something to a subset of the administrators and directors of this tower. And again, he gained favor with everybody, but this goes beyond favor. This almost goes into metagame, long con, you know, big piece to play on some much higher game that's being played. And what game that is, I have a couple theories. Like I mentioned, Bomb was considered a savior by a couple high-ranking individuals, the director, the navigator, and even the redheaded chick, who I'm assuming is some sort of administrator as well, at least a ranker. And we see her pop up time and time again, egging Rachel on to play along. If we're talking about galaxy brains here, if this whole first season between Bomb and Rachel was essentially they were used pawnishly to put Bomb in a situation that is most advantageous for the administrators, this would make a lot of sense why the director was so savvy to some of this stuff. Yuri coming in as an assassinator. Uh, some of these tests he didn't even bat an eye at when everyone else around him is screaming, this is an emergency, these people are invading these tests. He didn't blink an eye. And why I think that? Every single step was planned. And we all know the one guy who actually was starting to get savvy to that as well, Leo Rio. He confronted the director. He said to him after Bomb is presumed dead after the push, how much did you plan? The fish game? Everything? You tell me right now. And in the lack of information he was given, Lirio quit. He quit his position as an administrator. Quant, by proxy and being under him, also was fired. And Lirio said, I'm climbing the tower too to find answers. I want to know what's going on. We do smash cut later to Bomb surrounded by Shinzu and approached by the redhead ranker, the chick that's kind of been around this entire time. Basically, 
convincing Bomb to keep climbing, to find his answers to why the tower has drawn, like, drove Rachel and him mad, as she put it. And Bomb goes, no, the answers aren't up there. I'll find them. I'll decide them. And then I'll climb. I think Bomb was just set up in a very interesting way for the next season, and I'm assuming beyond, because he was called a savior, he was called a savior, and again, he was called a savior by the redheaded chick. What is he a savior for? What is he being groomed to be? In my mind, he is supposed to replace King Jihad. I think King Jihad is tyrannical. I think people are done with his bullshit, essentially. The princesses, under these weird rules, the administrators and directors, you know, told to hold tests, like we said the last episode, about protecting things. I think he has become, you know, tyrannical and megalomania style. Like, he is up his own ass about his own loftiness and his royalty. I think they want Bomb to be a liberator. I think they want Bomb to become so powerful that he tears it all down. Because he's off the grid, remember. He is dead in the eyes of princesses, in the eyes of his fellow climbers, in the eyes of maybe some of the administrators as well. There's only a couple that are wise to keeping Bomb alive. And they seem to have orchestrated every single step and using Rachel to do it. To basically convince her to quote unquote kill him, to put him in a situation where he's off the grid and they could groom him up to be a proper liberator, a savior. And to what end, I think that's going to make for a compelling season two. We get some very interesting interactions between, you know, Rachel and other characters throughout all this, but my favorite was definitely at the very end. When all of the successful climbers, including Rachel, were all on this massive platform and the director is kind of going off about a prayer for the deceased and Kuhn turns to Rachel and says, Bomb really loved you. And she goes, I know. And he says, no, you don't. Because if you did, you wouldn't be here right now. Fascinating. Kuhn's a big brain boy. He's a brainy boy supreme. He knows some shit's up. And Rachel, now at the end, laughing maniacally that she thinks she succeeded, is now in a position to keep scheming and keep climbing. Remember, she's still in a wheelchair as far as everyone else is concerned. No one knows she's good to go. When she was stabbed, she didn't feel anything. So, is she basically now having to keep this act up, are everyone else considering themselves as caretakers for this disabled Rachel as a favor to Bomb? Even after death, Bomb has what she cannot, and that is favor and love of the other climbers. It's a brilliant dichotomy to me, because it's going back to the first line we heard, and it was one of the last lines in this episode, This is a story of a girl named Rachel who climbed the tower and a boy named Bomb who had everything but her. Perfect. 
It's perfect because Bomb is the star. She realizes it in the last moments. Remember, I don't know if I mentioned it in the last episode, but as they're being raised up and they're holding hands, Bomb sees that golden light that we saw a couple times in his Shinzu Blast and in the Crown game. But there's a beautiful moment where that scene is replayed from Rachel's perspective and she couldn't see shit. She will never know the miracle of Shinzu, as she says. She will never be a star. She is merely a shadow in Bomb's light. And I think this is what this whole season is kind of about. What makes a character special? And if you aren't, how bad do you want to be? Bomb never wanted to be special. He just wanted Rachel and to climb the tower with her. She only, he only wanted to go up with her and to find her. She wanted everything Bomb had because she wanted it so bad she could never get it. I think that's what this tower climb is meant to portray. That the ones who find a new mission or are climbing out of purity or with purity and, and like kind-heartedness, it, it's a really interesting take on what the tower deems as special. So, I give this episode a 95. Like, this tied up all the loose ends it was supposed to and raised all the questions it needed for season two. How is Rachel going to play this one out? She's in a wheelchair, but Kuhn knows some shit's up. So that means, will there be a moment later? The second she gets out of that chair, shit's south for her. She has to keep this up. So she only has her scheme and brain to work on. But we even saw in this episode that that isn't even good enough. She needed help from the redheaded ranker. She couldn't even make the true decision. To kill Bomb without wavering time and time and time again. She does go through with it, but she didn't have the strength to perform the special test that was given to her by the navigator because she begged for it. She is an ugly character all around, but this makes for an interesting antagonist. Someone getting by by the skin of their teeth thinking they can become special but in no way is. Next to the person they think they killed, who is more special than probably everyone we have saw so far. So, they set up some really interesting things. We have Bomb over here in a training arc, mind you, which is so shown in height. But he's in a training arc over here to find the answers himself. We have Rachel over here thinking she had one. We have everyone else essentially doing Bomb a favor by helping her climb. And we have this background noise of everyone who is looking for a savior for something. These are all great questions, meaningful questions for season two, and I could not be more excited. So this season as a whole, I give it a 93. Like, there were, there were low moments, I think, but as far as Shonen goes, they subverted what they needed to, they held true to some tropes that they needed to ha like make sure that this is recognizably shown in. But again, I've mentioned it on the podcast. I've mentioned it in panels. I've mentioned it up and down that Korean webtoons are the future of anime if this is what we have to look forward to. 
the way they subvert stories that have been concretely cemented in Japanese history in terms of Japanese animation, the way they're subverting them are quite brilliant, quite nuanced, and it makes for fresh, compelling stories. And that's all anime should be at the end of the day. So thank you everyone for watching Extra Credit. I you know I, I think this is a really fun series to do, and I am looking forward to maybe doing it in the future. We will be taking a little bit of a break from doing this Extra Credit stuff uh, after this. But if you have any suggestions on something you'd like to be hyper analyzed like this, let us know on our uh, Instagram at webology.podcast, at our uh, Gmail, webologypodcast at gmail.com. If you want to listen to any of this uh, extra credit or any of our episodes, go to Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, CastBox, or anywhere else you get your podcast fix. And let us know if, you know, you don't like this kind of hyper analytic, you know, I know mine are much more kind of a review slash uh, retelling of the big plot points and my thoughts on each of them. If that's not for you guys, then we have a Thursday open. Let us know if you want to hear any extra content. Um. I guess that's it. So keep on coming to class on Mondays. We're going to be doing the same thing every Monday until, you know, the end of time or the lab burns down. I'm not really sure which one's going to come first, but maybe the lab might burn down. We do a lot of science in there. But until next time, I'm Ricky. That was Ethan. And this has been Weebology. Deuces. Deuces. Deuces.